Philippians chapter 2, verses uh, 12 through 18. Keep your Bibles open. And as we always do, we, we go to uh, prayer um, before we get into the passage together. And I want to bring up two points of uh, a special prayer for us this morning. First of all, it's kind of a, a, kind of a national prayer and then an international prayer. Um, if you've heard of uh, what m- many are calling a, a possible revival, spontaneous revival that has begun at Asbury College among the students... Uh, where they have not been going to classes for several days, not to skip classes, but because they've been in the, in the chapel praying and repenting and confessing and worshiping, and they don't want to do anything else. And that started to spread to uh, other campuses. And the reports that we're getting out of that is that it does seem to be a genuine move of God. There's, there's no showmanship. There's uh, there's nothing uh, out of the ordinary. It's just simply people that are broken over their own sin, broken over the sin of the world around us, and a lot of confessing, a lot of repenting, a lot of worshiping, a lot of just loving on Jesus. And uh, we want to pray that God continues to bless that, and if he would be so kind that maybe that fire would spread to the rest of the nation, we definitely need a fresh wind and a fresh touch of the Spirit of God. And I want us to pray for Turkey and Syria. I know you've heard about the earthquake. Uh, the last I report I saw this morning was uh, upwards over 28,000 uh, people have perished. That's 28,000 moms and dads and sons and daughters in, uh, in an instant or have perished in the rubble over the days. It's, it's miraculous. God is so kind and good that uh, they're still finding survivors these many days later. Uh, but I, I want us to pray especially for Turkey. And uh, one of the reasons really is because um, Turkey is... <clears throat> has a connection with us as believers. The gospel spread throughout what is now Turkey in the first century. So many of the places that you read about that the Apostle Paul visited, are they are now in modern-day Turkey. And uh, that region remained under Christian rule for centuries, beginning in the fourth century. Now, however, fewer than 1% of Turks are Christian. 96% of Turks are Sunni Muslims. Turks are proud of their nation, which has seen rapid industrial growth and modernization. Unfortunately, Islam is considered by most Turks to be part of their national identity. It is hard for them to imagine leaving Islam even if they know little about its teachings and do not practice its tenets. Christians in Turkey have limited freedom of worship. While there are a few Turkish churches, believers boldly share Christ with their countrymen. Ongoing changes in Turkish government have limited missionary activity and increased pressure on the small Christian community. 
I read that uh, uh, overview of Turkey and uh, the Christian faith there. And if the statistics hold of fewer than 1% are Christian, then in a number like 28,000 plus, only about 280 of those souls were ready for eternity. That's an absolutely staggering thought. So I want us to pray for gospel efforts that are underway now. We'll see a video at the end of our service today of how we can support gospel relief through our International Mission Board, Send Relief. But praying for the souls of those who are despairing and who are hurting, who may be able to hear the gospel and the hope that we have in Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we hear these uh, reports of revival, possible revival, and it's really exciting. We've prayed for years to see a fresh move, a fresh blowing of the wind of God across this nation, and just to hear of this little spark that has been going on for days now is really thrilling So many movements have begun with young people who were just hungry and thirsty for something more, something beyond what this world has offered them. And so we just ask God that you would bless those who are crying out to you now there in Asbury and and the surrounding campuses, Father, that that flame and that passion, you would feed that. We'd love to see another Jesus movement if by your grace you are willing so to move in such a way that would capture the hearts of the students across this nation in just a wild passion for Christ. And uh, we just ask God that you would continue to move in those places, your will be done, and if you would be so gracious that that you might fan that flame this way and that uh, uh, our nation might be revived. We pray for Turkey, God, and Syria. The, the number of people who perished, Lord, is uh, overwhelming to us to consider and to know that that's a land that for centuries now has rejected the gospel And yet, Father, we know that in the very early days, the gospel was present, and it's really never left. It's been overlooked, and it's been overshadowed, but it's never really left, and it is there today. And we ask God for those who are broken and devastated and wounded and hurt and distraught and grieving and in despair and in need. Father, we pray as nations and aid sources are flooding those places in much needed immediate care that, Father, through it all, the gospel of Christ will shine brighter in this darkness than it has ever shone before and that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people 
Sunni Muslims, Father, would turn from a religion that probably most of them know little about and turn to a relationship to you through Christ our Savior. Father, use this devastation to spread the news of hope and peace and life in Christ. And now as we turn our hearts and our attention to this passage, Lord, we need those very same things that we've been praying for others that you would do in our heart, that you would do in our life for the glory of your name. Work your perfect work within us. We ask in Christ's name, amen. Well, if you know me at all and you noticed when Mary Nan read the text that the word workout is in the text, you know that I already like this passage of Scripture. And you know what's coming. You know, there's so many correlations between our physical life and our spiritual life because that's the way God created us. He created us body and soul. And so there's so, many, there's so many ways in which we understand our physical body that has direct implication and illustration for our physical, our spiritual body, our, our spiritual life. In fact, the, the Apostle Paul uses this all the time. He talks about in our spiritual life to fight. He talks about in our spiritual life to run the race. He, he talks about in our spiritual life that he boxes the, the, the air the wind. So he, he uses these physical illustrations all the time because they, we are so closely united, physical and spiritual, in one person. We are both body and soul. If you want to improve your health or, or if you want to improve your game or, or if you want to prepare for a competition or, or if you're trying to recover from an, an illness or a, a, a surgery or an injury, whatever the reason may be, in, in order to improve your, your physical well-being, you have to have a plan. It, it doesn't just happen. There, there has to be a goal and there has to be steps along the way starting out as, as, as baby steps and step by step and moving in the direction, moving in the right direction to continue to progress, to continue to pursue that end goal. You, you have to know what your goal is. You, you have to have a plan developed, a, a road map. How are you going to reach that goal, attain that goal? But whether it's, it's going to the gym or going to practice or going to a trainer or going to therapy or whatever it is, those things are not the goal. Those things are examples of the roadmap. Those, those are steps. Those, those are the plan. Those, that's the process of getting to the goal. And the same rings true in our spiritual life. You can always tell in the physical realm, who has a goal and, and who has a plan to reach it? You can watch people 
If you watch people in the gym, some just kind of meander from exercise to exercise and they kind of do a little bit of this and a little bit of that and walk around a little bit and talk a little bit and then they leave. And they really haven't accomplished much. They really haven't done much. They really haven't worked much. These gym members put the out in workout. They get in. And their goal is to get back out. But some, you watch some, and they are there to train. They, they have a system. They have a process. They have a plan. They are focused. They are zoned in. They got the hat down and the earbuds in, and they are working. They are focused. They are consistent. They're there day in and day out. They have a process. They, they're, they're marking process on their phone, on their notepad. And over time, you see change. If they're working on balance and coordination, you see them change and improve. If they're working on building muscle, if they're working on trying to run faster, jump higher, you see over the course of time, Results. These people have put the work and work out. And they are the ones who see the results. Same is true in our spiritual lives. We can meander and, and go from thing to thing and try a little of this and try a little of that. And read a little of this, read a little of that. Just, just doing enough to say that we've done something. but really never accomplishing, really never achieving any, any gain or, or any growth or any depth in our walk with the Lord. We, we hang around spiritual things on occasion. We, we bump into spiritual things maybe uh, on the radio accidentally or every once in a while as we come into a church event and back out of a church event or here and there a little on Sundays. We hang around spiritual things, but our spiritual lives really never produce any change. There's never really any results. There's never really any difference in who we are. We're the same today in our spiritual life as we were 10 or 20 years ago when we say we first began our spiritual journey. We're basically in the same place. We've never really grown. We've never really progressed. We never had a plan. We never had a goal. We never had a road map. We, we never trained hard. We never put in the work. We were never consistent. We were kind of here and there, hit and miss, in and out. We may be active physically, but if we're really being honest, we've been really spiritually lazy, apathetic, unconcerned. No target, no goal, no drive, no passion. We're really not going anywhere spiritually. But we haven't really determined to go anywhere spiritually. We haven't really wanted to go anywhere spiritually. We've kind of been satisfied to kind of be in a little and out, kind of meander around a little bit and leave. 
So we might have a lot to show in our educational pursuits. We might have a lot to show in our vocational pursuits. We might have a lot to show in our life pursuits. But there's little to show in any kind of spiritual pursuit. Today we're going to look at a salvation workout plan. A plan. Our desire as believers is to grow in Christ-likeness, to be stronger in our faith, to be deeper in our affections for Christ and our worship of God. We, we long to worship, we long to grow, we long to know Him. So we want to learn, how do you flex your spiritual muscles? How do you have a, a, a salvation plan? A salvation workout plan. Let's talk about that this morning together. First of all, let's talk a little bit about how to work out your salvation. That's what Paul says here, work out your salvation. But note very importantly, the first word of our text that was read today, look with me there in verse 12, the very first word is therefore. It's referring to what we previously studied about Christ. Therefore, in other words, based on what Christ has done for us. And remember back in verses 5 through 11, Paul gives this beautiful Christology, this beautiful, this beautiful hymn to Christ of, of how Christ left glory and, and came to this earth. And he came as a servant. He, he came to serve. He humbled himself. And he not only came to serve, but he humbled himself even to the point of death, even death on a cross. He gave himself. He sacrificed himself we read of the humiliation of Christ and and we read also of the exaltation of Christ because Christ has humbled himself so for the salvation of sinners God has raised him and exalted him and given him a name that is above every name and so Christ when Paul says therefore and then he says work out your own salvation what he's saying is Christ is our goal that's our goal Christ and Christ is our motivation Christ is our impulse Christ is what compels us Christ is our reason when we look to the coming of Christ when when we look to his life his death his resurrection his return when we see, when we look to Christ and all that he has done for us, Christ should move us. That's what Paul is saying. Therefore, work out your own salvation. Looking to Christ should move us. And this is the danger of becoming familiar with Christ, isn't it? This is the danger of coming in and coming out and getting used to the gospel and getting used to the story of Christ. We're no longer moved. We're no longer moved. Let me say this for us all. If, if we're not moved, when you look to Christ and, and you think about the cross and you see the sacrifice of Christ and you sing songs about the sacrifice of Christ and the glory of Christ and you're not moved, your heart is not thirsty, your soul is not hungry, 
You don't have within you a drive to to know him and worship him and love him and follow him. If you're not moved, if, if I'm not moved, let me say this. Just stay right where you are and don't move until you're moved. Stay right there at the cross. Stay right there. Listen to sermons about the cross. Sing songs. Listen to songs about the cross, about Christ. That's the foundation. You can't get anywhere without that. That's the reason. That's the motivation. You don't, you don't go to the gym and work out without a motivation, without a reason for being there. So if we're going to work out our salvation, we got to have the right motivation. we got to have the right reason, and it's Christ. And if he's not the reason that drives you to get up and seek God every day, to wake up every morning and say, okay, God, what's next? If he's not your reason, just stay there until he is. Don't go any further. He's our motivation. He's our everything. He's our goal. Stay there until you're overwhelmed with Christ. He is what compels us and energizes us to live for him, to get to work. So Paul says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed. In other words, Paul is addressing those who are serious about their faith. Paul is addressing the core. Paul is addressing those who are demonstrating there's life in them for the Lord. They desire to please the Lord. They want to grow. So Paul is saying, now's the time to get to work. You've always obeyed. Now let's get to work. Now let's get it done. Now's the time to grow. Work out your own salvation. Listen to what Paul is saying. Focus on your faith. Focus on your heart. Work out your own salvation. I got enough stuff going on in me and around me to keep me busy enough. I don't need to get in your backyard. I got enough junk in my backyard. That's what Paul's saying. Work out your own salvation. (laughs) Work out your own salvation. Quit worrying about what Susan and John and Mary and Joe, what they do and what they don't do and what they should do and what they shouldn't do and what they've been saying and what they hadn't been saying. And work on where we stand with the Lord. Where is my heart? Where is my faith? Where is my passion? Where is my fruit? Where is my hunger? Where is my holiness? Where is my thirst? Where is my brokenness? Where's my repentance? Focus on what we do and don't do and should do and shouldn't do. Work on our heart. Work out your own salvation. Get down in the nitty gritty. Get down where it really counts. Get to the heart of hearts, not the shell, not the surface, not what you say in Sunday school. Not what you say when you see each other at church. How you doing? I'm fine. How are you doing? I'm fine. Well, you have a, oh, I had a great week. Yeah, you had a great week. And we're all sin and we're all a mess and we're all a wreck, but we're not telling anybody about it. And we're not working out our own salvation. Because we're walking around picking out what you got to work out. 
Work out your own salvation. How, Paul says, with fear and trembling. It is an absolute fearful thing. It's, it's fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation. Why fear and trembling? Over 28,000 people speak from eternity today can tell you, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work it out. Why fear and trembling? Well, let me say a couple of things about that for us. Number one, we need to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling first to make certain we even have a salvation to work out. Now I'm talking to a, a room full of good old Southern Baptists, so you're going to have to hear the Scripture and not our Southern Baptist lingo. And me too. Fear and trembling because we need to make certain we even have a salvation to work out. Listen to 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 10. Be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. What's he saying? Make sure you got it. And be diligent about making sure you got it. Paul says, here, with fear and trembling, work out your own salvation. In other words, first make sure you really have it. Because if we've just been wandering around spiritually for years and we haven't really grown in our faith and God hasn't been dealing with us and, and cutting away at our residual sin nature and, and, and moving us towards the, the fruit of the Spirit, moving us towards loving God and, and loving Christ and, and glorying in the cross and boasting in the cross and, and moving us to be humble and moving us to deal with the pride and the self-righteousness. moving us to pursue love, moving us to pursue holiness, if it's been constantly all about us, if we've been hanging around spiritual things here and there and enjoying this and enjoying that, here a little, there a little, but there's really been no change of heart, there's really been no change of character, there's, there's really been no change of life. It might be we got a little religion, but we didn't get Jesus. Sometimes this is a very subtle, a, a subtle deception that the enemy uses all the time and he uses it in religious settings, church settings. And that is we get the methods and the means mixed up with the message and we, we replace the message with the method and the mean. The message is that Christ came and died for sinners among whom I'm chief and I need him and he's got to forgive me and be my savior and come into my life and I've got to surrender everything I am to Christ. He's got to be my rescue or I don't have one. That's the message. Repent and believe. 
The method and the means are all kinds. It might be reading a track. It might be listening to a sermon. It might be hearing the testimony of a friend over coffee. It might be during a worship service. It might be uh, all kinds of methods, all kinds of means, but the means is not the message. The method is not the salvation. And that's a subtle distinction, but one that we need to keep clear because sometimes it gets foggy and it gets mixed up. And we think we're saved because we've gone through a method or we've gone through a means, but we never went through Jesus. So it comes down to things like this when... When I ask adults and talk, talk to them about, well, well tell, me about, tell me about your salvation. Tell me about when you came to Christ. And they immediately say, oh, yeah, such and such is when I was baptized. I was baptized 20 years ago. Well, that's great because that is the first, that, that's how you profess on the outside what God's done on the inside. But baptism doesn't save you. Baptism's not your salvation. That's a method. That, that's a mean of, means of expressing your salvation. But what I'm asking is, when did you meet Jesus? When did he enter your life and change your heart? When did you submit to his lordship and repent and cry out to him to save you? Save me. I need Jesus. Well, I started going to the church. Uh Uh-uh. I'm going to bring something else up that I've heard, and I'm really pushing the time. And I guess we'll make this a part two-er. I don't like those part two-ers. But I want to address this. This is so important. Martin, I'm going to put you in the hot seat. I know I've already done that, so I owe you two now. I've been here almost five years. There's, a, there's some things that I know about that man. He loves God, and it's his heart for every child and every student in this church and every parent to love God. Amen. So what I'm getting ready to say I'm not, is not a slight to Martin. Adults will tell me and some in our congregation and connected to our congregation, that's been your answer to me. I was baptized. For our students and our singles and our children, their answer to me most often has been this. I talked to Martin. I had some questions. Tell me about, tell me about your salvation experience. Okay. I, I had some questions, and my parents took me, and I talked to Martin, and I was baptized. Now, I have no question whatsoever that when you come and talk to Martin, he explains the gospel of Jesus Christ. He explains sin, he explains the Savior, he explains repentance, he explains faith, he explains all of that. I have no question about that in my mind whatsoever. Here's my question. Have we taken the means and the method and replaced 
the message with it. Because when I hear that from those who are out of high school, those who are in high school, when, when I hear them say, when I hear, say, hey, tell me about your salvation experience, and they say, well, I talked to Martin and I got baptized. Then I say, okay, but tell me about your salvation experience. Tell me about when you recognized, and you can do this as a seven-year-old, but tell me about when you recognize I'm not right with God. I'm wrong. Something's wrong within me. Mom and dad keep telling me not to lie, and I keep lying. I know it's wrong, but I keep doing it, and I want it. Something's wrong. I, I, I'm, I'm a sinner. I'm not right with God, and, and, and I, can't, I can't solve it. I can't change it. I, I, I can't save myself. I can't help myself. I can't do it. I, 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 I can't change myself. I need to be saved. I, I need to be ransomed. I need to be uh, forgiven. Somebody, somebody's got to help me. And there is a Savior. His name is Jesus. And I need Jesus in my life. I've got to have Jesus. So I repent of everything that I am. And I give my whole entire life to Jesus. Jesus is mine and I am his. And when that happened in my life, life changed for me. My passions changed. My outlook changed. My perspective changed. My taste changed. My dreams changed. My heart changed. I'm not perfect, but I'm different. I struggle with sin. I wrestle with sin. I wrestle with the old self. I still, I, I, I still have issues. I still have things. I'm still trying to work out my own salvation but I have come to Christ and have been forgiven and have been made new. Have you encountered Christ? Some people say, oh yeah, when I was young, I walked the aisle. Walking the aisle don't save you. When I was young, I, w I went forward and I talked to the preacher and I said the sinner's prayer and I joined the church. That's wonderful. But that's not in the Bible about how to be saved. Salvation is repenting of my sin, recognizing I'm wrecked, I'm wrong, I'm broken. I can't be fixed by my own self. I've got to have Christ. I've got to have his righteousness. I've got to have his forgiveness. I've got to have Christ. I've got to have the cross or I'm lost. Repenting and believing, that's salvation. It's the most serious thing we'll talk about ever. So I'm going to stop right there, and we'll pick up from right there, Lord willing, next week. But listen, stop packing, stop packing, stop packing. Stop thinking about what's next. Stop, don't even look at the clock. 
I know what time it is, and I'm the only one that needs to know what time it is. Do you have a testimony? A real biblical testimony. Not what my mom and dad told me. What I have. Not talking to Martin or talking to Will. What I have. What's got me. Have you been redeemed? Have you been changed? Listen, now is the time. Now is the time right here, right now, in these next few moments to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Make it sure now. Make it right now. Make it certain now. And then next week, we'll work on a building program. And we'll build on the foundation. Let's pray. Father, be with us in these next few moments. The enemy and ourself, there's some of us, I can't help but believe that you haven't led us to this text on this date and it's completely accidental that you didn't put on my heart what you put on my heart just to throw out words in the air. That God, I believe that there are people who are listening to this sermon who have been caught up in methods and means with no life change as evidence, with no transformation of heart for years and years or maybe even just months and months have been around spiritual things and, and have never really grown in their relationship with you because they never really had a relationship with you. They, they got a little religion. They got a little Southern Baptist theology, but they didn't get Jesus. And they're going to think of a thousand reasons not to make it right right now. They're going to think, what will people say? Pride's going to jump up and say, you don't need to do that now. They're going to hear whispers, oh, you can put it off. You can do it later. That preacher doesn't know what he's talking about. You are right with the Lord. There's going to be all kinds of reasons. But down deep in their hearts, the ones that you are calling right now, the ones that you are calling right now to you to let go of everything they've been standing on except Jesus for their salvation. Everything they've been clinging to except Jesus for their salvation. To let it all go and come to the cross. And we pray, oh God, that you would save sinners like us this morning and renew us as wayward saints. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.